For the past four Sundays, as we have gathered, we have been preparing actually for, for this moment when we make a commitment of our lives and our resources to God and His church. We have been using a metaphor of a ship to define the mission of a local congregation. And we've been saying that the church, you can think of it as a ship on a mission. And that never before has that mission been more important than it is today. And for that church, that ship, to fulfill its mission most effectively, it means everybody who's a part of the team coming together, all hands on deck, if you will. And to define the particular ministries and mission of this ship we call the church, uh, we have focus on four ships which define its life. Worship, fellowship, discipleship and stewardship. As a way of bringing all that home, tying all the things we said together up into uh, one final appeal and affirmation, we've invited some of the laity of the church to come and speak from their heart as to how they have experienced and are experiencing uh, these key components in the life of the church and in their walk with with Christ. And so uh, be in prayer for them as they come. They have prayed over their remarks, and I firmly believe that what they will share with us are words of inspiration directly from the Holy Spirit that that we need to hear. Sharing with us first on worship is Sarah Brummett. Sarah has been working extra hard today. She's already sung twice, she's spoken once, and she's going to share again. Uh, A wonderful young, young lady. Hear her as she comes to share with us. Hi, everybody. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Sarah, and um, this is a very interesting and amazing opportunity for me. Usually when I get a microphone, it's to sing as part of our wonderful choir or um, as a solo. So this is kind of terrifying for me, but we, we can do it together, right? Okay. Worship. That's something that's said a lot around church. And that's something that I'm still trying to grasp the meaning of. Thought I knew what it meant when I was little. I always thought it meant to sing, right? But worship's coming together and doing something. Doing something bigger than all of us. I think that's why I've always loved it. Worship's defined the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity. The worship of God. In the Bible, there are so many scriptures about it. I was able to search, and I came up with almost a million, but my favorite was Psalms 100. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Serve the Lord with gladness. That doesn't say serve the Lord with the right note. It doesn't say serve the Lord with the right song. Serve the Lord with gladness. No matter what you do, It's doing it for him. We're all doing it for him. While I'm up here singing, we're all worshiping, not just the person singing. While I got to listen to the parish choir and the swinging, singing seniors, and they were amazing, by the way, and so many others, we got to sit here together and worship. It's one of my favorite things about doing all of this. I get to look around, and I get to see each and every one of you 
worshiping with me. Again, why speaking is a little bit more scary. <laughs> Worship, we, we use this in the youth lounge. Every Sunday, um, I help lead the youth band. We call it Bound. And um, great group of people. We have a really great time. Probably talk more and play with their instruments a little more than we're supposed to. But by the end of the day, no matter if we've said a couple words to each other or maybe had a conversation, we feel part of something bigger than ourselves. And that's an amazing thing. That drives me on through the rest of the week. I'm able to use that. I'm constantly humming one of the songs in my head that we sang or something I heard at church. Something's always going through there. Something I carry with me. Worship something that I understood, or again, still learning about it, when I was really little, before I could even read. Like today we sang, Bind Us Together. My mom used to whisper the lyrics in my ear because I couldn't read them yet. But every Sunday I knew I was excited and I was ready to stand up when everybody started singing their hymn. I was ready. I was so excited and I still am. And that is something that hasn't left. On the bright side, I can now understand the sermon a little bit more. That's always nice. I can read along with it. But that appreciation doesn't go away. From the time we can't even read, that's something we're doing together. Isn't that amazing? And what a blessing it is to do that with all of you. And I am so thankful for it. Worship is a very powerful thing. Worship is something we all need, whether we know it or maybe not. At youth, every Sunday, there may be a little bit of grumbling. Um, we're hard at work, but we show up every Sunday. Every Sunday, we have to pull out more chairs. There's new people. That's proving with our actions how important worship is. And that's an amazing thing, and I'm very, very blessed to say I can share that with all of you. So thank you so much for all that you've given me and shown me through the power of worship, and thank you for worshiping with me when I need you and when I maybe don't know I need you at the moment. But thank you for it. Let's pray. Well, God, thank you for reminding us that worship is not about us. It is about you. May the worship of this church, whether it happens in the sanctuary or whether it happens in the parish hall or whether it happens in small groups in our homes, may it be rich. May it move our hearts. May it be an opportunity for us to express gratitude to you and to celebrate your holiness your greatness, and your power. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Melinda Jones is going to come now and to share with you a, a powerful example of uh, the beauty and the influence of fellowship in a Christian's heart and life. Thank you. Good morning. I've been asked to talk with you about the fellowship that my husband Jamie and I have found in this church and to tell you a little story about something, a miracle that happened just this summer. Uh, we moved to Noonan last summer and about mid-July we made our first visit to First Church. About halfway through the service we looked at each other and said, this is it, and it was. After services we were invited by some of the members to visit Sunday school classes and other church activities. 
Uh, the next Sunday after services, we came back and met Kathy and David and joined the chancel choir. So we started visiting Sunday school classes. We settled on the Martha Fuller class. Um, we went to fun and frolic. We went to church dinners. Uh, Jamie started going to the men's Bible study. I was invited to the ladies' circle meeting. Um, we have often said that this is the warmest, friendliest church that we've ever attended. So fast forward to this summer. David asked the choir members to consider um, uh, volunteering to help bridging the gap, give out the bag lunches for their summer program, and so we volunteered. And through that experience, we learned about bridging the gap. We learned their mission. We saw the food bank that they have over there and the thrift store with, with the donated clothes for all the children. And so I felt like I needed to help, so I started volunteering a couple of days a week. In late June, Bridging the Gap started talking about putting together a school outfit for each one of the children on their clients list, and they had 100 children on their list. Um, I asked if there was some way my Sunday school class could help. So through discussion with friends, we came up with this idea of giving a brand new purchased outfit to each one of those children for them to go back to school. You young people understand what the first outfit means, right? I have to make a good impression. Now, um, I presented the plan to our Sunday school class and they were fully on board. But this was July 4th, the middle of the summer. Everybody was on vacation. We had no idea if anybody would participate because this had never been done before. Over the next three Sundays, I and members of my Sunday school class went out to all the other Sunday school classes. We told them what our plan was. We gave out cards with the children's uh, information on it. We started taking up money, and on the third Sunday, we collected these purchased outfits. So in the meantime, Bridging the Gap was uh, giving out vouchers to the families to, to come and get their, their clothes. Um, they had decided to give two outfits to every child, two of the donated clothes outfits, and the list had risen to 133 children. So now I was wrestling with how I was going to make the money we had collected buy clothes for all the children for the cards that I had left. So it was, it was a matching problem. I needed about 200 more dollars. So I called the church treasurer and I said, hey, what's, what's the total? Have, have you gotten some donations? What have we got? And he ran his calculator and he said, oh, well, I've got about $700 here. Well, I was flabbergasted. I only needed 200. Now I had 500 more. So what was I going to do with that $500? I thought about shoes, but I didn't have enough money to buy shoes for all the children. So he told me uh, that he'd get back in touch with me, that there was probably some more money going to come in. Well, that night I got another phone call. One of the Sunday school classes had decided to match the money that their members had donated. The members had given $1,011. So by matching, they were giving us $2,022. Okay, now I had plenty of money, but I didn't have much time. So the next three days, Jamie and I went all over noon and buying shoes. We bought 110 pair of shoes. That was just such an outpouring, such a huge outpouring from all the classes, both in money donated and in the clothes purchased. Um, on Friday the 29th, July the 29th, that was the big day. All the families lined up outside bridging the gap. 
Uh, we had all the donated clothes arranged on racks for them to come in, make their shopping easy. They came in and they selected two outfits for each one of their children. Uh, they came over to the checkout counter, and that's when we gave them their new outfit. We made sure that every child was happy with what they were getting. We, we wanted to be sure that the outfit fit them and that they were pleased with what they were getting. And then they had the opportunity to choose a new pair of shoes if they wanted them. The smiles and the thank yous and the oohs and the ahs, it was just icing on the cake. We, were, we just could not have been more blessed. I don't think I've ever been involved in a more positive, rewarding project in my life. There are many stories from that day of sharing, joy, blessings, and but I don't have time to tell you. I will tell you on a quantitative basis that for that project, uh, the cost of the items purchased was over $6,000. Earlier this month, Stuart said in his sermon on fellowship that fellowship is the way we do life together, and the heart of fellowship is to share. According to the scripture, fellowship is not an optional matter for believers. 1 John 1.8 says, if we walk in the light, in other words, in fellowship with God, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. On a final note, I want to thank you for the outpouring of kind words and sympathy that Jamie and I have received this, this week in the passing of his mother on Tuesday. If that, That's fellowship at work, right there. If you're not fellowshipping in this church, you need to give it some serious consideration. It'll be a blessing to the church, and it'll certainly be a blessing to you. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for this powerful illustration of what can happen when the people of God come together in the fellowship of the church to love one another, to care for one another, and in so doing, care for those around us. Oh God, may the fellowship of this congregation continue to flourish. May all who become a part of the life of this church Uh, experience firsthand the warmth and the love of Christian fellowship. And may those of us who experience it always be reaching out to invite and encourage and to welcome others into that place of belonging. In the name and spirit of Christ, we pray. Amen. Discipleship. Uh, We decided to ask a person who... uh, is living out his faith in some very significant ways and who is an example to us of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite Warren Budd to come and share with us what's on his heart this morning. July the 29th, 1945. The battle cruiser Indianapolis was coming across the Pacific toward the United States after having delivered the first atomic bomb to the island of Tinian. This bomb would be dropped on Hiroshima. The Indianapolis was unaccompanied, and it was in the dark of night. About 12 o'clock, three Japanese torpedoes hit the Indianapolis, and she sunk almost immediately taken with her 1,200 sailors and officers. Of the 1,200, almost 1,000 perished. 
Of that, thousands, many were attacked by sharks. The Board of Inquiry that met to assess this tragedy said that the fault lay in not having the Indianapolis accompanied in a battle group because by not being accompanied, the Indianapolis was picked off. Well, Christians are just like the Indianapolis. If we're not accompanied, if we're not in the body of Christ, if we're not part of the church committed to it, we also can get picked off. John Wesley said it was somewhat like a muscle. If we're not in the church growing, then, then we will develop atrophy and we'll wither, wither away. I'm convinced that we can never experience the fullness of God if we're not in the body of Christ. And I'm certain that we cannot, we cannot fulfill what God has us to do. We cannot reach the goals that he sets for us if we're not a part of the body of Christ. Discipleship, to me, has two phases. The first phase is ministering to people in the body of Christ, believers that are hurting, that are in need, that are sick. The best example I can think of that is when this church poured out so much love to the courageous and brave Monica Lovett during her tragic eight-year illness and as, to her wonderful family as well. Another phase of discipleship is building up those in the body, helping us grow as Christians. And the most important phase of that is what we do within our own families. Today, I don't have to tell you that society is arrayed against the Christian faith. There's so many elements that are trying to damage our belief in our faith. And if you want a good example of what it means to minister to those in your own family and my own family, usually I, Courtney and I sit on about the third row on, over there where the young people are sitting. And Gary and Brenda Weldon sit there near us with, uh, with James, their son, Kelly, their daughter-in-law, and their grandchildren. And every Sunday, it just does my heart good. You see James, I mean, uh, Gary there with the, with the hymn book, going through the hymnals with his grandchildren, showing them what it means. When, when the scripture's read, you see him going through the scripture, teaching his grandchildren, because it takes more than just parents to bring kids up in Christ in this society. It takes grandparents, it takes friends, it takes other members of the body. During the 80s, Courtney and I were part of the youth group here. And you saw, you saw families like the Arnolds and the Duffys and the Wickers and other families that were committed to this church. They, they realized that the most important hour of the week is not the week we take science and math and whatever else. It's the hour we spend in Sunday school and youth group and choir learning about Jesus. And today, the children of those families are leaders in this church, and their grandchildren are in this church. And that's the reward that we have by making, making it a priority 
It's not an option. It's not something we do just when we feel like it. It's important. So I think we should adopt the verse out of Ecclesiastes. It says, paraphrased, as for us and our house, we will serve the Lord. Thank you. Let's pray together. Oh God, you have placed the call of discipleship on each and every one of us. You have gifted us with love for you. You've gifted us with spiritual gifts and resources to offer to you. And we just pray that uh, we'll heed the words that Warren has shared with us to know that um, the message of the church rests in the lives, in the hands, and the voices of those who are part of its ministry. So give us courage, O oh God, to live as faithful disciples in this world, in our families, in our places of work, in our school, wherever we happen to be. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. The last of the four ships is a very important one. It's stewardship. Uh, Freeman Elliott is going to come and share with us, and I've already apologized once, but I'll apologize again to Freeman for uh, the fact that his name is misspelled in the bulletin. Uh, but uh, if anybody uh, I, it was not going to be upset about that, it's going to be Freeman Elliott. So thank you so much, Freeman, uh, for sharing with us this morning. God bless you. Good morning. If you ever miss a meeting, you'll end up with stewardship being your portion of this deal. <laughs> I can tell you that. Well, last week, uh, uh, Stuart talked about stewardship, and he, and he said a few things that I wrote down there were in the notes. It said, stewardship begins with an understanding that all we have comes from God and belongs to God. Then he asked, what is a steward? A steward is one who manages or oversees another person's assets. It means realizing that God expects you to invest what you have been given in service to Him. If we don't invest our lives in service to God, we waste the opportunity we've been given and we disappoint our Heavenly Father. And He left us with, what have you done with what you've been given in life? So knowing that, what have we done with what we've been given? Have we been thankful and are we thankful? Are we cheerful? Are we a cheerful giver? You've heard God loves a cheerful giver. And I've shared with some of you the story one time of a Sunday. I was sitting middle ways this side, and I was not a cheerful giver. So as it came time to give our tithe, I said, well, Laura, I guess it's time to put our tenth in the plate. And Al Lewis was sitting there, and he turned around and looked at me and said, that's the minimum. <laughs> and then another time, I was sitting back in this corner, and I was not a cheerful giver, and I wrote out my check, and I was sitting there, and I looked at it, and I said, man, that is, that, that's more than I used to make when I was young. And about the time I said that, this voice as clear as a bell said, and I took care of you then. And so I turned around, and Laura said, who are you looking for? And I said, whoever just admonished me is who I'm looking for. So those are my two examples of times where I was not a cheerful giver. We have to realize as we move through our Christian life that we don't own anything. We don't own land, possessions, or money. It just passes through our hand from hand to hand, person to person, generation to generation. Even our children. Lewis Jackson always says we don't own our children. We're just their stewards as well. Our job is to guide them through this life back to the path home. What matters is what we do with it while we have it. 
I won't get into all the passages of tithing and giving and stewardship. We've heard them before. Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Malachi. I won't read through all those. I guess I'll sum them up by talking a little bit about the the passage in Malachi that says, uh, if you want to test me, test me in this. If you, you know, give to my house and bring the tithe in, that I'll open the gates of heaven with blessings. And Alan Rainwater, who was just a great Christian man that I loved, said, you know, not many times in this life and in the Bible does God say it's okay to put the Lord your God to the test. But when it comes to tithing, he says, bring it on. So we can fool ourselves by saying that this is Old Testament, pre-Jesus, Mosaic law, law of antiquity. But in the same chapter 3 of Malachi, God says, I, the Lord, do not change. And then he goes silent for 400 years. I guess he needed it to sink in. Then Jesus appears and it says that all the teachings from the Old Testament apply to all people now, Jews, Gentiles, clean, unclean to us. So here we are looking at 2017. For those who already give, thank you. It's all hands on deck. For those who don't, see what you can do with what you've been given. For families just starting out or young people, there was a sermon one time in a Methodist church where the, the guy stood up and said, for you young people that are just starting out, I realize you don't have enough money to tithe. So I want you to give 2 or 3% as you move up the corporate ladder, throw another percent in each year, and in seven or eight years, you'll be there. And that's what I started doing. And it changed my relationship with God. So give your time, your prayers, your worship, your witness, yes, your money, Sarah, your voice. Thank you, that was beautiful. And I'll end, this, I'll end with this passage that's not usually linked to stewardship. It's in the book of Hosea. It's Hosea 6.6. 6. It says, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. So how will you acknowledge God? You don't have to go offer burnt offerings anymore. You don't have to build an altar. It's right here. Generations before us built that. And the people that built this church, they probably were not tithers in the 10 percenter group. They were probably 20, 30, 40, 100 percenters. That's what it takes. So Stuart asked, what have you done with what you've been given in life? I'll ask you, what will you do now moving forward to acknowledge all you've been given? Jesus and Luke said, to whom much is given, much is expected. All hands on deck. Thank you. There's no organization in this town that provides for you a setting and an opportunity to engage in the worship of God. There's not another organization in this town that provides you with a means of developing deep and abiding Christian friendships, being a part of a, of a fellowship of belonging where people are there who will love you and laugh with you and cry with you and share life with you. There's not another organization in this town that provides you with the skills and the resources and the abilities and the training, the equipping to, to live out authentic life of disciple of Jesus Christ in the world day after day. There's not another organization in this town that tells you the truth about money, that it cannot provide you joy, that it cannot meet the deepest needs of your life, but that the most important thing in life are relationships, and the relationship above all else is your relationship with God. 
You see, the most important things, the most important information that you have access to is found right here. The church. It's not always pretty. It's far from perfect. But it offers you the most important things in life. And when you love it, and when you support it, when you're involved in it, when you give to God through it, not only is your life enriched, but you enable its mission to enrich the lives of other people in this town, in this nation, and around the world. And so we make no apologies asking you to make a commitment of your time and your abilities, your resources, your giving to God's church. And so we've arrived at this point as we've reflected on what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ. All hands on deck means that for the ship to fulfill its mission, everybody comes together. And so we're going to be asking one another, each other, uh, at this time, what are we going to commit to in, in terms of our involvement in the life of this church? How are we going to live out our love for Jesus Christ? You should have already, if you're a member of the church, you should have already received uh, this brochure. And to inside there uh, is an opportunity to, for you to make commitments in each of these four areas. Not just giving, but in worship, in fellowship, in discipleship. And we hope that you've prayerfully considered what God is calling you to do. And by the way, this is going to be a good time if the ushers are listening. Uh, we have some additional copies of this. Actually, I think they went ahead and put some of those out in the pews beforehand. So if, if you did not bring yours today, if you need one of these, there should be some uh, on either end of each of the pews. And to make sure that all of you have one of those. Here's what we're going to ask you to do. In just a minute, before we sing our closing hymn, we're going to have just a minute of, of prayer and reflection. And we ask that you fill this out if you haven't already. Uh, prayerfully consider what God would have you to do. And then take that and take the, the entire thing. And I, we realize that uh, these are, are matters that uh, are private in our relationship with God. And so there should be some blank envelopes on each pew. Take your form, place it in that envelope, seal it. And in just a moment as we're singing our closing hymn, if you'd bring it and lay it at this altar as a symbolic way of offering it and offering yourself uh, to God.